This podcast is sponsored by Zero Accounting Software, who proudly support female entrepreneurs and help business owners to see their finances clearly. For help in getting your business digital ready, visit xero.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to episode three of the She Can, She Did podcast. I'm Fee and I'm the founder of She Can, She Did and because of that, the host of this podcast which, if you're just coming across now is a series in which I sit down and chat to women in their teens, 20s and 30s who've dared to go solo and launch their own businesses around the UK and asks them to open up about the realities of what they've had to go through behind the scenes both good and bad to get to where they are with their businesses today In this episode, I sit down with Susan Thira-Cornratch the 37-year-old founder of One Earth Organics, the UK's new breed of superfood snacks, smoothie and latte blends that support smallholder farmers and indigenous communities from around the world, covering everything from the realities of launching a healthy food brand in what is very much now a saturated market, her advice for anyone looking to launch an ethical business or improve their current company's transparency, why the launch of her business forced her to reevaluate some friendships, to her experience running and promoting her business as an introvert, with over a decade's experience working in international development before she launched One Earth Organics two years ago, which happened to coincide with the same week that she found out she was pregnant with her second child. Susan and I sat down in her family home in Buckinghamshire a few weeks back to chat about the unique journey she's been on so far. Susan, shall we start with what your business is about in your own words? Okay. Yeah. So it's evolved in the last 20 months. So we started as purely a superfood smoothie and latte brand. So it was me importing baobab moringa to this country um, from sustainable farms in Zimbabwe and India. And then we, we mixed them up with some other herbs and cacao and things like that. And we sold them as smoothie and latte blends. But now we're expanding our range to include snack food, so organic snacks. So we work with a charity in India. India, where we saw some organic jackfruit. Have you ever had jackfruit? Do you know, I was at a family dinner yesterday at my sister's house. She had it all of us over, and we were talking about this interview, and she was just going off on one about how amazing... You do crisps, right? Yeah, jackfruit yeah. crisps. <laughs> and she was like, you have to try them, but she made me try the mango ones. That's all she had in the cupboard. Okay. So um, Well, I've got both. Yeah. You can take some home with you. They're there on the table. Um, oh, thanks. Perks <laughs> so, of the job. <laughs> yeah. So they taste... Sweet. So in this country, you get green mango in kind of jars or tins to put in jackfruit curry. But it's the sweet type of jackfruit that we freeze dry into crisps. They taste a bit like a cross between peach and pineapple, I would say. And they're just really healthy. Um, they're high in fibre and they taste really good. They've got lots of nutrients. And the kid, my kids love them. So we're expanding our range into some snack foods. So we've got mango and jackfruit at the moment. So I'm thinking about adding a third. Which Any is idea what's either going to be? be papaya or banana. Oh, lovely. Crisps. But I think quite a few brands have already done banana crisps. So I'm thinking I'm going to go with the papaya. That's the thing, because as an outsider looking in, the superfood market is quite saturated. And this brand is two years old? Yeah, just less than two years. So if you look at the superfood market in the UK, you see there's a few big brands that have most of the market share. For example, you have Superfoodies and then you've got Natura. And Natura are owned by a bigger company that own Functional Foods, Natura. They own quite a lot of different smaller brands. So all of those superfoods come from the same parent company. Right. Um, so a lot of the big companies are all like that. And then they sell their superfoods to other smaller businesses businesses in the UK, which is fine. Um, It's easy business, but we didn't want to go down that route because when I was working in my previous job, I used to work in agricultural projects and I saw the needs of kind of smallholder farmers and they have no way of getting their products to market in the UK. So I wanted to bring more sustainable superfoods to the UK, organic superfoods. And, you know, I wanted to support farmers that I knew and that I knew were being paid fairly and that were being shipped sensibly to the UK because most of the acai berry that we get I've is... always wanted to know how you pronounce that word. I've always said acai. No, it's acai. Acai, acai. okay. Oh my gosh, you um, learned something new. It's huge. You can get it all over the world, but it just comes from kind of a very small area, mainly in Brazil. And when you freeze dry it, 
there's not that many facilities in Brazil to freeze dry it. So they ship it to Chile and then they ship it to America and then they ship it to the UK. The carbon footprint on that is ridiculous. Yeah. So we work with a small Brazilian company that are, they're trying to get e-certification. If you're B-certified, you're kind of very sustainable. You pay your workers fairly, things like that. So they're in the middle of getting their B-certification and they ship it straight to the UK. So they're setting up a satellite office here in the UK as well. So it's just a lot more sustainable and the carbon footprint's a lot lower. And so, yeah, so That's I wanted amazing. to work with more and kind of make it more transparent and sustainable, especially the supply chain, which is just ridiculous. A lot of new brands are thinking about their transparency and I want to pick up on that later. But you mentioned that you know these farmers and after a kind of a quick little google on you you've got such an amazing backstory so can you talk us through what you're actually doing beforehand that okay. inspired this brand sure I think I'm probably your oldest interviewee so <laughs> I feel like I've had a plethora of jobs um I started working when I was 16 um at House of Fraser folding clothes I was at Monsoon <laughs> So um so I've ha I don't know how many jobs probably over 20 different jobs I was always interested in kind of environmental sustainability ever since I was young I was you know part of WWF children's club collecting coins and things but I went to university and I studied politics and I specialized in Southeast Asian studies and then that got me really interested in Southeast Asia and then I did my master's degree at Bath University and then I ended up doing my PhD there as well so I specialized in development studies so I worked with a project called well-being in developing countries so we were looking at subject objective and objective perceptions of well-being across Peru, Ethiopia, Bangladesh and Thailand. So I helped coordinate the migration research and my PhD was on Lao migrants living in Thailand. Okay. So that really inspired my interest for farmers and the, the livelihoods of farmers. I did life history interviews, a bit like the interview, your podcast that yeah. you're doing. So looking at why people migrated, where they migrated to, um, you know, how they support their family, how they juggle work and their ch children because most people send their children to live with their parents back in the villages so that really got me interested in people's livelihoods and why they do what they do and the struggles of farmers and after my PhD I kind of took a bit of a break because I didn't know whether I wanted to go into research or I wanted to go into actual development work so I chose to go into development work so I worked as a consultant so I worked for World Vision so look, I wrote their policy responses to the bilateral and multilateral aid review so looking at the UK aid and my opinions on that and then I worked for Practical Action. So I was again working in livelihood projects. So okay. most of it was kind of climate change adaptation, installing wells in Kenya or irrigation systems in Zimbabwe, things like that. Um, so again, it really piqued my interest on smallholder farmers. They are the loveliest people you've ever met. And they're so knowledgeable. You go to Kenya and you speak to, you know, a Moringa farmer. He can speak really good English, which <laughs> when I first went there, I was really shocked. I was like, wow, I can actually talk to you because yeah. in time, I had to spend years learning Thai to do these interviews because none of them, no one spoke English. But you know, you go to Kenya and you can have a really good conversation with us. So that really piqued my interest and I made some valuable connections with some farming groups, especially in Zimbabwe. So there's Phytotrade Africa, which is they're a farmers group that help farmers export products mainly to Europe but to America as well. So I got in contact with them and I said I'm interested in baobab because it's a really nice tasting fruit. They grow it all over Africa and I wanted to import it to the UK. Could you tell me the best way to do it, the most sustainable way to do it? Could you give me some contacts of farmers that I could get it from? So they put me in contact with an organisation called Baoba in Zimbabwe and they work with baobab collectors. So they collect the baobab from the trees in, usually in times of drought to give people a secondary income. So then I just started importing it and then I hired a herbalist because I'm not a nutritionist. So I wanted some functional blends so that taste that both tasted nice, but they were also very nutritional. Um, so I hired a herbalist and a product development team that were in Somerset in the UK. So I imported everything that's in their factory. They also sell herbs and spices so I could add I don't know, vanilla or beetroot to something with yep. their products. So we came up with six different blends four for adults and two for children and yeah so they're they're just the i would say they are the most nutritional blends in the uk market um so we had them nutritionally tested which cost an absolute fortune i didn't realize <laughs> how much nutritional testing cost but so we have four so we have 
rejuvenate your soul which is really high in vitamin c it's got maca and baobab and it tastes amazing yeah and then we have the shine bright which is really good for your skin it's high in essential fatty acids and vitamin c which is good for your skin and hair and nails and then we've got coco gogo which is matcha green tea and raw cacao and beetroot oh my so goodness. it's really good yeah, in, yeah. with some hot milk in a latte and then we have two for children so chocolate dream which is chocolate beetroot baobab and carob so kids really like it What's carob? Carob is a bean. So it's from the bean family. It tastes okay. like chocolate, but rather than being chocolate, it doesn't have that buzz that you get with chocolate. Okay, so it yeah, doesn't yeah, make yeah. the kids hyper. hyper or anything. Yeah. That was like when I was little, there was a no blue Smarties rule. Yeah. So I remember that rule. Yeah. Yeah. Mum was like, no, don't touch the blue ones. <laughs> I was like, all right, mum, calm yourself. <laughs> and then, yeah, the vanilla. You obviously said that nutritionist testing was expensive. You imported it over into Somerset. That, to me, as an outsider looking in, sounds expensive. So can you talk me through how you funded all of the kind of research before you started even making money? Because I know that's what puts so many people off. Yeah. So I spent about a year, over a year, researching. So I founded the company with Companies House. Actually, the week I found out I was pregnant... (laughs) So I'm not sure whether I would have done it had I realised I was pregnant. So I I did all of the research whilst I was pregnant and for a few months after. Um, I actually gave birth here. I had a home birth, so I gave birth here on the couch where we're sitting. (laughs) Okay. Um, At five o'clock in the morning and then at eight o'clock in the morning, I had a meeting on Skype with my packaging designer in Barcelona. That's how much work I put into it. Oh my goodness. That's incredible. I mean, that's... Stressful. Yeah, I mean, that too. (laughs) Um, Wow. Yeah, it was stressful. Especially because I am mostly self-funded. So all of the work that I did previously, I saved up a lot. So I lived with my boyfriend and my father. And I literally saved... I didn't spend anything. I didn't go on holiday. I didn't buy anything. I saved every penny I had. So that's why I was able to fund, self-fund everything. And I also got a... Do you know a Virgin startup loan? Yeah, Virgin, yeah. 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 So I got a £14,000 startup loan because my husband, we got £7,000 each. So my husband is a director. So he helps with the marketing and, you know, yeah. the funding. So I put in, I don't even know how much I put in at first. I think it was £40,000 okay. I put in. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, it was kind of 20 something on my part and 14,000 pounds from Virgin. So that was enough to import small quantities of what I needed um, to pay the the product development team, the nutritionist, herbalist, and then I had to spend £6,000 on nutritional testing. I, I needed to know how much vitamin C, how much iodine, how much omega-3, and every, I had to do every single test on every single blend. But that's the thing, though, and that's that's where I always love hearing that side of things because you just kind of look at the back of a packet and you think, you, you're just accustomed to know, like seeing that now and you expect it to be yeah. there. But the reality is, if you do launch a food product, that kind of thing has to be done it does have to be done but on most food products you don't have to actually get your food nutritionally tested you just need to if there's a similar product you can just use their nutritional information so if I was just selling baobab or something just a plain packet of baobab I could use another standard product so so it's because they were blends and they, they were new no one had ever done it before no one knew the nutritional information of some of the ingredients we have so I had to get everything done myself wow how so long that did was that a take? huge cost that I was not aware that I had to pay I, I just thought it would cost a couple of hundred quid or something but oh. yeah, it was a huge learning curve um how long did the process take to come through it was quite quick once all the blends had been done in I think they were done by the end of November 2017 no 2016 now November 2016 they would have been done so they all the nutritional testing was done by Christmas once you have everything done you just send it off to the lab and it it comes back within a month so it's very good so many other costs that I just was not aware of. Trading standards, especially with food products, you have to work really closely with trading standards and your labelling and your health claims. There's a lot of what I would call dodgy superfood companies out there, you know, with weird and wonderful health claims. Take this product and you're great. you won't get grey hair. Or <laughs> See, I kind of look at that now as a consumer and just think, oh, what a load of bull. Yeah. We all know, you know, it's just... It's no. really frustrating. <laughs> 
No, I bet. Really frustrating, especially when you're trying to run a business that is ethical in its marketing as well. So I would, I, I could never say anything like that. And then you have another brand that's quite similar saying all these things about how, you know, it helped someone to get over cancer or yeah, yeah. I think I think in a business sense I find it really frustrating when people market with guaranteed to make you two yeah. like turn over six figures in four weeks and you just think oh <laughs> shut up <laughs> it's just no. really frustrating and then you see them doing so well as well because they're really aggressive with their marketing mm. and push marketing and it's yeah let's yeah. come on to that then because you know the packets are sat right there they are absolutely beautiful Thank you. The branding is stunning. So can you talk me through all the baby steps that led to that vision and actually making that vision a reality? Well, it really helped that I had a friend who's a designer. He's actually from Lebanon, but he lives in Barcelona and he's just very, very good at his artwork. So he he works a lot with chocolate companies and I saw one on the internet that had kind of an African tribal design and I fell in love with it and I thought I need this guy to do my packaging he's brilliant (laughs) so I contacted him and we've become really good friends now he's lovely his name's Mo Mo Kalache and he is probably the best designer I've ever met in my life he's so unique and colourful and vibrant which is exactly what we wanted yeah Um, especially when you are entering a saturated market where everything does kind of blend into one but it's just such a unique design I love it Thank you. (laughs) I'm actually tweaking it a little bit. We're doing a a small redesign. So we're keeping all of the pattern, but I'm making it really stand out on front what the benefits of the blends are and the the quality of the ingredients, because I don't think people really get when they look at them just How 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 good they are. Because a lot of other brands, they is you know fifty percent protein powder and three percent baobab or something. So I really need to. I'm trying to kind of educate customers to look at the back of the packaging, look at the the percentage of the different ingredients because it really makes a huge difference. And when you're paying something with twenty six percent acai berry and twenty thirty percent baobab, is going to be a lot more expensive to produce than another company that does a similar blend that's ninety percent protein powder, two percent acai, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. bao bao or something like that Mm, so I just I'm really trying to bring that across on the front of the packaging because I think that's our main struggle so when I talk to people face to face and explain to them they're like oh wow that's the best blend I've ever tasted that's really good I didn't realize that and then you you can't be in every shopping aisle in the country (laughs) it needs to be on the front of the pack so that's what we're developing at the moment how how we can incorporate it onto the front of pack Amazing. And I've seen that, you know, you've been picked up in Vogue, in Glamour, influencers have picked up on it. You're stocked in Morrison's, TK Maxx, etc, etc. Can you talk me through how, you know, what was your approach to all of that kind of thing? Because it's it's one of those things, again, where as someone that wants to launch a business, they have an idea of where they want to be. But the reality is those things don't come overnight. No, they, um, you yeah. have to work for them. So did you have a strategy for um, your marketing? So my strategy... I realized at the very beginning that I needed a lot of money on marketing because that's I read that that's the the main thing people fall down on is that they don't put enough money aside for marketing at the beginning. So I I saved as much money as I possibly could and I made this amazing trade show stand. Um so it was very bright, vibrant. My packaging designer Mo made these amazing cutout animals of monkeys that were hanging around in wow. big giraffes yeah. and leaves and it looked like a jungle. It was so bright and vibrant as well because the walls were the the colour of the packaging. And it got a lot of people's attention on the first day that we launched. What trade show is this? So Natural and Organic Products Europe. So yeah, we started, that was our first day of trading of, no one had ever heard of us before. And I entered one of our products into... They have a a new product showcase every year. So the best new products would go and everybody would vote for it. So all of the organic experts, the shop buyers, they would all vote for their favourite product. And one of our blends, Green Goodness was the runner-up, so it came second. Amazing. Um, I think Nush, you know, Nush that was Cashew your first Yogurt, trade show. what they won, but yeah, that was our first wow. trade show. Oh my goodness. Um, and so it just, we had a lot of interest because everybody was asking us, oh, we've never heard of you before, you're new and you've just won this prize and we love your stand, can you tell us a bit more about yourself? I bet there yourself? were so many stands, like, who are these newbies? <laughs> yeah. like, <laughs> so that's when we met the buyer for Planet Organic and she was lovely and she really got our ethos and straight away they were interested in stocking us so we were just counting our lucky stars that that happened on our first day of launch so I think natural and organic products was in April 
2017. Yeah. And then we were launched in Planet Organic in June, the beginning of June. Wow. Um, so it was really quick. Um, and then, of course, once you're in Planet Organic, other stores are interested in you. So then we launched in As Nature Intended and lots of different independent stores. So w- were you ready for that demand? No. Well, we ha- I had the stock, yeah. um, but it, it was just a huge learning curve. How to, because before you can just go into a store, you need to get stocked with a distributor. And the distributors are expensive. You need to pay a £1,000 of marketing so that you're in their trade catalogue. You need to get all your stock there. You have all your barcodes sorted out on the the outer boxes. And it was a huge learning curve. And we had to do it really quickly. And then Planet Organic, they require you to do sampling. So I had to hire staff to do sampling for me in London because with a newborn baby, I couldn't get there. It was, yeah. We tried to do sampling every week because we were new. No No one had ever heard of us. And then... Hold, uh, just just to jump in there did that feel strange knowing that that's the first shop you're in and you couldn't be there yourself to do those something because for me if I had just launched in a shop that's the dream I and know I know I did I, I did go to, to the be first there. one so Yumi who's a lovely lady she's a yoga teacher in London and she's she does like reiki back massages and, yeah. and things like that um so she helped I hired her to do natural and organic products Europe with me um to help me out I actually my husband had to bring my seven month old baby we were there in the trade show stand with the baby and everyone oh. was like oh I love your stand and oh I love your baby yeah. <laughs> oh, it was another good talking point so I hired her to help us with the trade show stand and I got on so well with her she was lovely that she was literally the only person I trusted to help yeah. me do sampling in store because she, you know I told her all about the brand and she knew all she about the it. products yeah, yeah, yeah she's lovely so she's done all of the sampling for me in London and now her mum who's also lovely <laughs> I love this. um she's fallen in love with the products and so now now she does all my sampling for me in the as nature intended stores in London oh my goodness um, that's yeah. so lovely <laughs> that's the thing though it's like you find those people don't you and once yeah. you've clicked that's it yeah yeah Okay, and what about your approach to PR, getting into the magazines? So it was a mixture of writing press releases and just sending them to to people that I'd found on LinkedIn or Twitter or something like that. Along Um, with a sample? um, No, not not straight away. I would always write it first and then they would request a sample and a bit more information. And then I spent some money on a PR firm called Verdon PR. They specialise in kind of environmental or ethical brands. So they work a lot with Cool Earth Action and Vivian Westwood with the Rainforest t-shirts oh, and wow. things like that. Yeah. So they really, they understood what I was trying to do and they had kind of a whole network of magazines that, that they worked with. So I spent, I think, about £3,000 on doing that just to... Get off the ground. Yeah, get off the ground. But yeah, all of my PR, other than that... Um, influences and things like that just hasn't really been paid I've given products out to people that I thought would like the product like your sister I gave I started off with I I think I got I met your sister through Instagram so Carrie is lovely by the way if Carrie if you're listening to this (laughs) thank you so much for for liking the products in the first place So yeah, so I, I just found people that I thought would appreciate the products and like them because yeah. the main thing is I want people to taste them and try them out and then they could really see the difference in quality. So I was just giving out. I, the other thing, when you start a business, you don't realise how much free product you have to give away. Oh, hugely. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I think there's such a focus now on influencer marketing, but it's not guaranteed and it's a risk that you've got to take, isn't yeah, you it? Have you have to, to really give choose the right yeah. people to send it to because if a lot of, when I'm scrolling through Instagram, you just see ad, 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 yeah. ad, and you, the same people are kind of doing, you know, skinny teas or, you know, something that you would never buy and then you lose all interest in them. Yeah. Um, so you have to be really careful with who you who you want to send the products to because if they post it on Instagram, it's going to be a reflection on, on your brand as well. So I've been very selective with who I've given it to. I've worked as well with some um, food photographers. You need to have a good Instagram feed yeah, these yeah. days. So to make it, my photography skills at the beginning were not very good, to oh, say the mine least. Are absolutely shocking. So I paid <laughs> some really good food photographers. I used two, Happy Skin Kitchen and Charlie's Health. So they're really lovely girls that are really good at 
food photography and they really got my brand. So I think when I first contacted Elisa, Happy Skin Kitchen, she had something like 25,000 followers and she's now got like a year later, like 150,000 followers yeah, or something yeah. ridiculous. So her food photography is amazing. And she, again, she really liked the blends and she was just a really avid supporter of what I was trying to do to make, you know, the superfood industry more transparent. And um, yeah, so she really helped me at the beginning as well because although I was paying her to do food photography, she also posted it on her Instagram. So she worked as kind of an influencer for me as well. So that was really good at, you know, getting this whole, she has a lot of vegan followers. She does lots of vegan recipe inspirations. So that got that whole, a whole new cohort of people that I had never thought about before interested in our products as well. So actually next month we're going to be in the vegan tuck box kind of little subscription box things yeah, like yeah. that so yeah the whole vegan market that I'd never even thought of at the very beginning is really interested in our products so now my marketing has, has changed again to incorporate other people and that's on an upward trend isn't it yeah it is yeah Susan obviously now there is so much focus in the press on businesses and how they've got to be more transparent with things like their packaging, etc., where they're sourcing things from. How do you firstly approach that, but also get that story across to your target audience? Um, so the way I've been doing it at the moment is really face to face so when I go out and meet people I give a talk or I go to do sampling or I just literally meet people in the street just talking talking about it why I started it where I get my products from how much things cost I'm very transparent with it so if you meet me I will tell you anything that you want to know so that's the, that's the main way I get things across mm -hmm. um, secondly Instagram stories they're brilliant I can talk I hate doing it but I do do it sometimes <laughs> so I talk I give little talks on you know what's in a certain blend or where I get something from or the benefits of of one type of ingredient so I think just being on Instagram stories because I think it's so much more genuine than if you just do an Instagram post which is kind of glossy yeah, yeah. and you can't go into much detail um so behind the scenes Instagram stories so that's the second way that I do it and then we tried to be as transparent as possible on our website. Um, so my intention was to go to travel to Zimbabwe and Kerala and Brazil and kind of present um, videos about how people are harvesting something or the benefits that they get from working with these organisations. But as I have two small children, I haven't been able to do it yet. So it's really frustrating. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm asking the organisations that I work with to please send me photographs or any video snippets that they can so that people can really see where their food comes from. Yeah. Because I think people want to know how they're helping these organisations. Um, so that's something that we're going to be redesigning the website a little bit and to make it more focused on on the, the sources and, and the organisations that we work with and how we're helping people because we've actually helped people to gain skills training so all of the workers in Kerala they get trained on food hygiene and things like that and there's a scholarship fund now for people that want to go and, and do a university course oh, and wow. there's you know these are life-changing things that are happening that nobody knows about so it's just a, you know we need to think of a way to really get that across, get, get that across yeah. to the public it just nobody takes knows. time doesn't it, it? does yeah, yeah it's really feeding hard. it through yeah. this podcast is sponsored by zero accounting software who proudly support female entrepreneurs and help business owners to see their finances clearly. For help in getting your business digital ready, visit xero.com. You've obviously mentioned that you had a baby at the very beginning of this business and you also yeah. had a two or three-year-old at that point as well. Yeah, he had just turned three when I launched, yeah. Which is amazing, in my opinion. You know, I'm, a 20, I'm 26 and I'm someone that 100% wants to have children one day, but I'm also someone that wants big business one day and the idea of having children bringing children into the mix genuinely it's so daunting because I struggle enough as it is so can you talk to me about actually what the reality looks like being a mum and a business owner because I know full well that there are so many women out there that want to launch businesses but they're so worried about that juggle yeah the only thing that I could say, on in all honesty, is that I wish I had children sooner. That I know a lot of people say, "How don't are we tell me fit that, Christ!" Honestly, when and I was in my twenties, I was so scared of having children that I 
You know, I wanted to travel the world. I was working ridiculous hours. I had to work weekends. So if a team in Kenya had a grant application that they needed for me to, you know, rewrite by Monday morning, you know, it's eight o'clock Sunday night. I had to sit up, stay up the whole night rewriting it. There was no way that I could have children. But I was very lucky in that I've, I finished my job just before I got pregnant. So I was actually looking for work when I, when I had my first child. And as soon as I got pregnant, I realised I can't keep on with this job anymore. I can't keep up the travelling if I have children. So I did have to make that decision. And at the time, I thought it was a sacrifice. <laughs> as soon as the baby comes, you realise that it is not a sacrifice at all, that I, I didn't want to be doing that job anymore and my whole life changed I wanted to be home with this small baby and I wanted I, I wanted to be at home every day um I was even very upset the first day I took him to nursery yeah, <laughs> I didn't yeah. want I didn't want to leave him things like that so your whole life outlook pivots 180 degrees and I know for a lot of women it doesn't change everyone that I worked with in international development they had their baby six months later they came back to work part-time and they're doing really well in their jobs you know they their husbands are, or parents are really supportive they help look after the babies they can still travel they, mm. they they're they're amazing mothers and I'm I just I thought I could do that but as soon as I had the baby I realized actually I'm going to try and do my own thing because then I could be more flexible I can work around when the baby was sleeping because you know at the first stages when you're doing a business it's all about research so I yep. thought oh I could do that with a small baby I could do the research it's, the problem will, will come when I have to actually start do doing the thing yeah <laughs> doing the thing and then but then I'm thinking oh but then I could put the baby in nursery by that time and you know I'll have a bit more time to to do everything um, but with two children it's more tricky because mm. when one sleeps the other one wakes up and you don't have any time to do any work <laughs> with it na- when they nap and that's anymore. when you decided to launch <laughs> yeah um so yeah no my advice would be just to don't worry so much about are you going to have time for children because as soon as they're here you make time you want to make time I was lucky in that my husband was doing a a DBA it's a bit like a PhD in marketing um so he was at home so if I needed to take a nap in the daytime he would help me take a nap if I needed to be on the phone with my packaging designer he would be there to hold the baby while I could do the Skype call um so I was very lucky that I have a supportive husband yeah definitely um and he did he really helped me with my marketing plan and everything um but I just have there been I any- don't have any advice because I'm the kind of person that just does everything ad hoc I didn't know what I was going to expect when I had children I never thought I would even be a person to have children I wanted to work in international development I didn't want children when I was 25 and then suddenly as soon as I hit 30 I I, you know I wanted children I had my first child at 32 and then I completely decided on a career change that I wanted I wanted to work for myself so that I could be at home with my children more I didn't want to travel and I know a lot of women are not like that they still want their career they still want to working in their nine to five jobs but I just I had a career break and I was just so lucky that I got pregnant in that moment because I think if I'd got pregnant before and I was still in my job I would have just taken maternity leave and gone back to my job afterwards but I was just lucky that I I was just I could stop and just really evaluate what I wanted and that's when I decided no I don't want to go back to my job I want to stay at home and find find something that I could do at home so One Earth Organics is it was the brainchild of (laughs) of me being pregnant (laughs) do you feel like it's your third baby in a way yes that's why I'm I'm still now there's days when I just want to give up and you know a buyer hasn't responded to my 100th email (laughs) Um, I just want to give up because it's so expensive to run the company honestly I, I I don't even know the figures but it's a huge expense that I just wasn't realizing um marketing is huge so yeah it's something that I don't want to give up even though you know most days I just want to throw in the towel let's talk challenges because you've kind of mentioned a few but for me hearing what women like you have gone through to get to where you are that's what keeps me going when I'm having my own like dodgy days um so can you open up about what has been the hardest day on the job so far the hardest day um let's go in at the deep end I think the hardest day was possibly 
quite recently, a few weeks ago. So I've spent a lot of money on our, our new product, jackfruit crisps. So I had to, I bought some, not a lot. I just bought 50 kilograms. I imported it and then I didn't realize the the costs that it takes to get it through British Customs this end. And then I had to get um, the packaging how, I designed. Mean, how expensive are you talking? I mean, it's not, it's about, it was about 200, 250 pounds, but when right. you're only buying 50 kilograms yeah. of something, it's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. And then I had to get the packaging designed and then I had to get it printed out um, and then I had to get it put inside the packaging. Um, and all these costs were quite a lot. So I think I, I spent over 5,000 pounds um, developing the product, importing the product. And then, so then I had these prototypes that I was sending out to buyers and I was, you know, selling to people, trying to get feedback on if they liked them, if it was a feasible thing to, to launch. So then I got feedback from Planet Organic and she didn't like the packaging. Oh, um, no. They said that they didn't feel the jackfruit stood out enough um, and that the messaging wasn't clear and that the font of the word jackfruit, they couldn't really read it. And I thought, oh no, I just spent all this money on it. I thought it was really good. Um, and everyone that I'd spoken to previously loved, you know, I posted it on all the, the I'm on a lot of social support Facebook groups. So, yep. you know, I'm part of the Food Hub, which is for food entrepreneurs, um, Southwood Social Hub, which is for female entrepreneurs. And yep. I was posting it and everyone was giving me brilliant feedback. But unfortunately, buyers just don't like it. I also spoke to the buyer for BP Garages and he tasted the jackfruit at a trade show, the lunch trade show, and he loved it. He saw the packaging and he said, no, I wouldn't buy this thing. <laughs> so then I realized, oh no, I spent all this money and it's just not, the packaging is just not right for the product. So when, um, when that moment hits, what did that day look like when you actually realized that? It was just stressful because you don't have, I just don't have five grand to throw to, away to, again to, mm. to make any more. Um, so now I have to wait, I have to save my pennies. I have to repay the designer to do some more packaging designs and I have to get them printed out. And it's just, and then, you know, you have to either, I'll either have to import more jackfruit or I'll have to have the added cost of taking it out of one packet and putting it in the other packet. And it's just time consuming, but it's just, it's a cost that I don't yeah. have um, because. Although I'm in a lot of shops, I'm still a startup business. My my marketing costs far outweigh the, the money that's coming in. That's the thing. I think people see that, you know, you are stocked in these stores. You have appeared in these magazines. Big influencers love your products. But the reality is that, you know... Yeah, it's a struggle. Yeah, every day. It's, it's not every always... Um, and there's just, yeah, there's just one hurdle after another. So then we had the problem with the jackfruit. Um, and then obviously in Kerala, where I get the jackfruit from, they have lots of floods so a few months ago the entire factory was wiped out because there was a landslide on the factory and all the ho the workers there were made homeless um people were dying um oh my all the jackfruit uh, had completely it had gone soggy they had to throw it all away so then i had no supply of jackfruit and it's just yeah it all happened at the same time and it was just one thing after another so then i was thinking okay i'm just not gonna i'm just not gonna launch the products anymore it's just too difficult but then you have so much brilliant feedback. Like um, Carrie really liked it. Lydia Millen did some beautiful Instagram stories saying this is the best snack she's ever had. <laughs> and I got literally hundreds and hundreds of people emailing me, what is this? Or, um, yeah, lots of... I wasn't selling them online at that point, but when I saw her stories, I had so many email requests that I had to then put it online <laughs> so that people could buy it. And I had such brilliant feedback from those with people. With the packaging that, that, with the packaging that they that didn't I've like. Got, yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, um, and I have got so much feedback saying, oh, I loved it. I loved the packaging. And you just think, well, if people genuinely like it this much, then I need to keep trying. So I'm in the position at the moment where I'm tweaking the packaging, trying to bring the picture of the jackfruit out, trying to kind of explain on the front what jackfruit is, because I think a lot of buyers realise jackfruit's really popular, but that most consumers in the UK don't know what jackfruit is. They don't know what it tastes like. They're, they're not used to it in the form of a crisp. It's usually in the young green jackfruit form that you put into a curry. Going back a few steps, when those days do come round and there are, you know, you're sat here thinking, let's take the floods. You can't do anything about those floods. Yeah. People are dying and, you know, that's that's absolutely tragic. You're over here and, you know, that obviously puts a natural end to for a few months for what you're trying to achieve. How do you pick yourself up on those days where it does challenge you that much? I think 
the the thing that I try to think about every day, because it's a struggle every day, is that you just have to look at the good things. Um, because you could quite easily fall into a cycle of, oh, it costs so much money, oh, it's so difficult, oh, no one's replying to me, or why aren't I as big as the, this other company? Um, you could easily fall into a negative cycle. And I think working at home, because I work at home alone most of the time, it's easy to fall into that kind of negative thinking. So... I mean, I have days where I am negative, but most days I'm not because I try to just... You're allowed the odd day. (laughs) It's basically... Well, if I'm having a really bad day, I phone my best friend, who's a lecturer in Birmingham um, in management. So she's very good at, you know, Susan, you're better than this. You have to look at your... You're a wonderful person. Your products are the best. You just have to keep going. And she's very good at, you know, coaching me and picking me up and making sure I have a cup of coffee and I go back to my computer and I make sure that I email this person that's not replying to me or something yeah so yeah a support system is is hugely important and I I always fall back on that when I'm having a bad day so it is would be always my best friend or my husband or my dad (laughs) so they're the three people that I fall back on that's the thing though I'm exactly the same on those real low days I turn to my family 100% just to kind of they're like the I trust them 100% and I know full well that I can tell them anything and they'll pick me up and say you've got this don't worry exactly yeah friends and family I think are the two most important things and then I also have a support group with um, other food entrepreneurs so there's a couple of Facebook groups um the food hub which if you're thinking about starting a food business you have to be a member of this group they are so lovely and they help you with anything Um, you can ask any question like if you're missing an ingredient or if you need a factory to produce something there you ask it and somebody will reply and I think that's a reason why you need to become a member of these groups because there's I don't know not not every group would be as as friendly and there are some really competitive groups and there's lots of people that are really secret about their their brands and they don't want to help others but there's a few groups the food hub being one of them and there's another one called young foodies which also help food entrepreneurs and you know you have some quite big brands helping the smaller brands and it's just really nice that you can learn from them and the 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 brand holders for the bigger brands they really help mentor the younger the younger people and it's just a really nice atmosphere especially when you go to meet them you have lots of socials so you have there's another group called bread and jam they have a entrepreneur's conference every October in London and everyone goes there and everybody knows everybody you've got some really big brands that go there like Popcorn Shed or Tenzing or Dash Waters and you know you have some big brands that go there but then you have hundreds of smaller ones and everyone talks to each other and it's just a really nice atmosphere and people really genuinely want to help each other yeah definitely that's the thing I think putting yourself out there and going to things like that it can be daunting but what you get from events like that is huge in terms yeah, of exactly. contacts and yeah. that so help. speaking of contacts you know I was telling you earlier that I really want to get into whole foods uh-huh. <laughs> um, which seems a natural fit so if does, anyone knows it? any yeah. buyers from whole foods holler <laughs> so I actually met the buyer well she wasn't the buyer but she was she was I think she was from the American head office because it's just been brought out by Amazon um, and I met her and she said oh, I love your products I really like your philosophy it perfect for whole foods i love the jackfruit email us next week so then i i got so excited i went i found <laughs> my husband crying i was like i finally met the buyer <laughs> she wasn't the buyer though and i emailed them and no reply so it's just really disheartening so mm. you, you just have to keep going and just hope again that I, I bump into one of the buyers at an event or see I always think with that it, it's just a matter of time that's where I think that perseverance does pay off isn't it yeah, yeah I think I, I actually went to a, another seminar last week in London and it was led by the ex-buyer for Whole Foods so Emily Noble and she's just started her own consulting company so she helps smaller brands get into Whole Foods so I went to one of her seminars and she told us the margin that Whole Foods expects and I then realized that I'm not offering enough margin for Whole Foods to even be interested in me so now I've yeah I've had to completely reposition and you know change all the different margins because it's between the shops and then the distributors taking these huge margins food brands are not left with a lot especially Mm. when you have to support your own in-store promotion so if you do a 20% promotion that has to come out of my it doesn't come out of the shop's 
profits, it comes out of mine. So after all, all of this, especially when you're on 20% promotion, basically when I'm on 20% promotion, I don't make any money. It's basically just, it keeps me ticking over. I don't make There's any no profit. profit. I only yeah. make profit when I'm on full price. Wow. Um, so yeah, I didn't realize, when I went into the food food industry, I didn't realize all of, and any of these things. I didn't realize how much a distributor takes. I didn't realize how much the store takes. I had no idea that I had to fund my own promotions. Just yeah. things like that. It's, yeah, it's a huge learning curve. Have you learned anything about yourself since launching this business? Yes, I think so. I've realized that I'm really not... I've realised that I'm just not a pushy entrepreneur. I, In fact, I wouldn't really call myself an entrepreneur because yeah. I think that has connotations of somebody going out, oh, working yeah. 100 hours a week, pushing for the sales, you know. I'm, I'm not, really careful when I use that word because yeah. I just think, oh, it's overused. That's, I don't feel like that's yeah. me. That's not me at all. I'm very... You hear of um, ethical marketing or transparent marketing. I'm, I'm very much in that group in the sense that I don't do push sales. I don't do huge... I don't you know. I don't say buy two get one free or I only have a limited amount of stock left buy it now yeah. I, I can't do that kind of sale yeah. technique I can't I just I explain what's in the product why I feel it's better than others you know the quality the percentage of things in there the quality of the ingredients the provenance where it comes from that it's helping people just through explaining that mm. I feel that's the only marketing that I need. I'm the exact same in the sense that when my tickets go live for the events, I don't want to be that pushy person that's like, there's only five left, go, go, go. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. if they want it's, to buy them, then, you know, this is why I think they're great, but it's your choice kind exactly, of thing. It's, because you are such a genuine person on Instagram. Mm -hmm. People kind of, they feel like they know you. They want to come and meet you in a, an, a, an event. The, the people that you have, the speakers that you have are great. So I think people genuinely want to go. You don't need that push, push, push. I hope so. Yeah. Um, but then you get you hear some advice where it's kind of you have to be that person you have to get out of your own head and sell and you're like oh I don't know what to yeah, do like no. but no it just doesn't sit well with me I've read on your Instagram feed that you describe yourself as an introvert how do you think that's benefited your business I'm not sure if it's benefited no, to be I, quite honest <laughs> no see I think there's there's so many perks to um, I think it's made being me, an introvert. Well, being a business owner that works from home, you have to be capable of being by yourself for long periods of time and being able to work by yourself with your own structure. Um, so I think being an introvert helped me in that respect. Yep. Um, so I'm not afraid to spend a week by myself in my house alone. <laughs> because for me, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not someone that has to have company every day. But it's been a huge barrier in, again, sales. So when I first started One Earth, I drove to the local health food shop. So there's Daily Bread in Northampton. So they were one of our, as well as Planet Organic, they were our other first stockist. And just having to give a presentation, I was literally having heart palpitations. Mm. I thought I was going to have a heart attack because I was so anxious about giving this presentation. Um, and it's like that. Whenever I have to talk, even this podcast last night, I could not sleep. I thought, oh no, I hate talking. Oh no, I sorry. Hate the sound of my own voice. <laughs> no, but um, the thing is, though, is you've still done it and you still did yeah. that presentation. And I'm exactly the same. I did one of those tests where they kind of break your personality down and it came out that I was 60% extroverted, 40% introverted. And I've always kind of seen it the other way. I have to basically build myself up to do an event you know I, I know that I can go in and I'll, I'll work the room but it doesn't come naturally to me beforehand if that makes sense like I'm yeah. fine once I'm there but there's the yeah, yeah definitely and with things like presentations oh my gosh it's terrifying and my heart's exact same and I get this nervous rash here it's why I always <laughs> wear a high neck on an event but I guess the thing that I always admire about you know about women like you is that you still go and do it anyway yeah you know yeah. And, and that's where, yes, you're introverted. It doesn't come naturally, but you've still done it. And yeah. that's the point. Like, yes. I am. I think yeah. everyone's, we're proud of ourselves. Yeah, that we, definitely. We, we can do it. But it they always turn out to be the days that you look back on and you think, oh, Thank I'm God so, I yeah, yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> but it does, you know, there's, there's certain things that I still have issues with. So I always prefer to email rather than phone call. And obviously when you're trying to get into a store, you have these people whose whose job it is to sell into stores and they they would phone the buyers phone 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 and they would be you know smooth talking the buyers they'd go out for coffee with people whether for me 
I would always prefer to email rather than pick up the phone. And yeah. I think that's one of the problems of selling products is that you need to be able to pick up the phone. You need to go and network, 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 getting into all these different stores and doing events and stuff. And I think that is the huge barrier that I'm having. So yeah, yeah 2019 See, is my year for getting out there and talking to people. Do it. I'll hold you to that. We'll do a podcast a year today and see what happens. No, in, and I'm I'm kind of the same. I, I get around that though by emailing first to set up a call because I'm a lot better I'm fine on the phone if they know it's coming but the idea of ringing someone up and being like yeah cold calling is absolutely horrendous yeah well the problem with when you're trying to sell a product into a store the store buyers just never never return your email (laughs) so it's literally you have to go and store them practically yeah Moving on to your personal life, how have, you've obviously mentioned your best friend and your husband being supportive. On a broader scale, how have your relationships with family and friends evolved throughout this process as your business has become more demanding and successful? Um, so my, my, my dad and my husband have always been the two most supportive people. They've always helped me, even when I was starting out I'm terrible with spreadsheets and margins and calculating how much money I'm going to get when I have 20% off sales and things like that so my dad sat down with me and he's made me these most amazing spreadsheets margin calculators that are really complex and you know I love my dad (laughs) (laughs) and then there's my my best friend who I went to university with we did our PhDs together but then there's other people so I had another best friend since I was 12 we went to school together and literally we were best friends. We were inseparable from the age of 12. But then as soon as I had kids and I got my own business, suddenly she doesn't want to be friends with me anymore. She just literally emailed me saying, I don't mind having a coffee with you, but just don't bring your kids. And I thought, I would never expect that from her. I don't know what was wrong. I And then basically she's never spoken to me since. I don't know what I... I didn't do anything. But just some... I just... It was... It just came out of the blue. Um, and I don't know why. I don't know maybe she's having a problem in her life or... She's jealous of my life. I don't know what it was, but there was no explanation. And I'm just, if somebody doesn't want to see me without, with, you know, with my, my kids, then I'm not interested in seeing that person. Yeah. The reason I ask though, is that I've done about 80, 85 interviews now, and you're so not the first person to say that. And so I'm always really interested because, you know, I'm so grateful for my closest friends. But there's definitely people on the sidelines that you know they're watching what you're up to, but there's a kind yeah. of, it It just doesn't seem as genuine as, as some support. Yeah. And I just think that that is a common theme that keeps cropping up. So yes. I guess when that reality, you've, you've, you're dealing with that reality, what do you tell yourself to kind of pick yourself up from that? I think it's just to, re- I just had to reevaluate what was important so I thought my friends that I went to school with would be really supportive of my business. They'd help me share on their Facebook or with their friends or, you know, or if someone owned a marketing company, they would give me some advice, you know. But they didn't. None of my friends that I went to school with has have supported me at all. It's like they don't know anything about my business. Um, so then it just makes you really evaluate that the only people that I, I, that I should be worrying about is those people that that do care about me and especially my my family my close family and the friends that have shown support and interest so they're the people that in return now my my social circle has become so small (laughs) but I'm happy because I don't want to be worrying about the people that aren't supporting me or that have shown no interest you know whatsoever and at the beginning it crushed me because some of they were some of my best friends and when they had started businesses I was shouting from the rooftops I'm so proud of you or anybody that needs you know a painter or a marketing export or anything go to this person they're brilliant and then when you do when you start your own business it's you know it's like you don't exist um and when it comes from one of your best friends it really hurts um but yeah no it has made me reevaluate all of my friendships and um yeah I've realized that the only people that can really be there for me is my my closest family and one best friend yeah I think as you get older anyway, you know, when I look at my parents' social circle, it does become smaller yeah, and smaller yeah, as you get older. Yeah, yeah, life gets in realize, the way, I think. Yeah, I yeah. Think as you, re- you realise who the important people mm. are. When you're kind of, when I was a teenager in my early 20s, I was so worried about fitting in what other yeah, people thought yeah, of me, you know, how many friends do you have, yeah, kind of things like that. But then when you... Oh, it just, just goes... Yeah, when you hit 37, you're like, oh, sod it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I've got too many things to be worrying about. <laughs> You've obviously got the business, you've got children. When you do find some time, just for you, what does downtime look like? <laughs> um, does it exist? It hasn't existed for the last five years. <laughs> but yeah, downtime. Okay, so take this weekend, for example. You would think weekends are the time just to spend, I don't know, time, you know, going for a bike ride with your children or, you know, you know. <laughs> what people imagine families do but my weekend <laughs> was taken up with you know washing yeah I had to still do Instagram and reply to emails and phone calls from people that were calling me for one earth as well as looking after my children taking them to tennis lesson football lesson <laughs> taking them swimming doing all of the housework plus we had visitors over um so yeah so my Monday morning should have been get ready for the podcast <laughs> <laughs> But no, it was my kids woke up late because they got a late night. I had to rush them to school. I forgot their reading books. I forgot the class bear that he had this weekend. I forgot to take photographs with the class bear that oh he no. had to take in today. <laughs> Terrible um, mother. I know. <laughs> I've got a stack of washing up in the sink that I'm trying to hide from you currently. <laughs> so yeah, so I don't really have... My downtime is at about nine o'clock at night. When the kids yeah, are in yeah. bed, I have about an hour to myself where... Most of the time I fall asleep before I get to do anything. But yeah, my downtime is literally folding up washing. I, you could say that's therapeutic. Or scrolling Instagram, which my I My sister would love that. It. Like cleaning is her therapy. I'm like, you are very sad. No, no, cleaning is my therapy too. It just, I just, it's cathartic. It mm. just wipes away all the worries. You don't have to worry about other things because you're concentrating on... To be fair, when my flat something. is clean... And I've done my Sunday clean. I am. Yeah. I do feel like I'm set up better, for the week. Yeah. And I, it's a go. Yeah, it's true. Okay, rounding up then. I always end on some statements. I say I always end like I've been doing this for ages. Second <laughs> podcast, but I'm going to try and always end with this. Have you heard of Giovanna Fletcher? No. No? Oh my gosh. So she has a podcast called Happy Mum, Happy Baby, okay. which I love and it makes me broody, but that's going off on a tangent. She ends with these statements and I've twisted them so okay. they're a bit more business focused and I'd like you to finish them. Right. If, okay. Yeah? Yes. Um, okay, drum roll. Being my own boss means... Being my own boss means that I have the flexibility to work around my children and do something that I really genuinely care about. Love that. When it's not quite going to plan, my advice would be to? My advice would be to take a step back and just go for a walk, clean your house, <laughs> take a bath or call a friend. Just take a step back from it, get some perspective and then try and rebattle the fight again when you're in a better headspace again always fall back on your best friend or business contacts and try and kind of talk about it with people your support group because um, I think those are the two yeah two definitely main things that get me through. I think asking for help is so important yeah it's kind of you can't know everything it's not a weakness especially yeah. you know you don't have to say oh my god help I'm so terrible but you know you could do it in a more constructive way yeah. of Why having is this, this happening <laughs> yeah yeah definitely if I could go back to day one of my business, I'd tell myself... Well, for my business, I would tell myself that I'm pregnant and I probably shouldn't be doing this. Um, but no, other than that, I would tell myself that it's a lot harder than, it, than, than I thought it would be. But at the same time, because you're doing something that you truly love, it's completely, it's worthwhile. Mm. Um, and I would just keep telling myself on the days that I think I should throw in the towel just to keep going and it's all worth it. And put aside some more money for marketing? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to describe myself as a businesswoman, I'd say that I'm... I'm not a businesswoman in the traditional sense at all, but I think... I think that's a good thing. Um, I think nowadays with the, the trend of consumers wanting transparent ethical companies I think that's what's needed you need to be genuine you need to have credibility you need to you know you need to let people know how you're different um, and I think that's that's a good thing okay last one and it's a big one <laughs> right I want my legacy to be that I would like my legacy 
Oh, that's a big one. Mm. I have to think about that. I did warn you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess there's two. I want my legacy to be that One Earth is a brand that is well known in the UK for for really pushing healthy eating in a way that's fun, that's not restrictive at all, um, that is is actually delicious and people want to eat it. So kids love the jackfruit crisps. People really like the smoothies. They taste good or the, or the hot chocolates. They taste good. And I want to be known for quality because there's so many brands that you pay 30, 40 pounds for a packet of superfoods and you look at the back and it's like three percent of Mm. the quality ingredients and 90 percent crap and it's just like I want to be known as the credible brand and then secondly I want my legacy to be that my children understand and know what it is to have a working mum that cares about something I want my kids to care about I don't I mean I don't want them to be little little me little robots <laughs> or anything but I want them to care about the issues I want them to care about sustainability I want them to care about where their food comes from so they're just my five-year-old is learning about plastic because obviously it's been in the news a lot mm. so he's saying is this plastic mummy is this plastic mummy and then he picked up one of my my pouches the other day is this plastic mummy <laughs> like it is plastic but it's recyclable <laughs> and mummy is going to make them compostable hopefully at the end of this year. So he said, oh, yes, mummy, you should make them compostable because we don't want to kill the fish. I was like, oh, yeah, we don't yeah. want to kill the fish. <laughs> so, yeah, my legacy, I just want my kids to kind of understand what a, what an ethical business is like and expect that as, like, the next generation of consumers to be kind of really aware of where their food comes from and what kind of businesses they buy from. Um, so, yeah, so hopefully there will be my two, That's two things I leave behind. That's good. Okay. I think that's it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh my goodness.